0: council member, do you want us to all say our names or
1: oh i'm sorry um yeah i think uh i, I apologize uh, <laughs> i was in a i was in a a, a mindset of a, a a traditional um council committee meeting of uh of having our clerks call us to order uh i apologize i because I, I just hopped over from a, a different committee meeting and no um I will actually uh, just begin with with our welcome. Um, thank you, Jesse. <laughs> um, so first off, uh, thank you all for attending uh, this second meeting of uh, the Vision Zero Task Force. Um, and for those of you tuning in the first time, I am your council member for the District 3 area, Raul Perales, uh and uh, the chair, uh, one of the co-chairs of this task force. And uh, joined by my fellow uh, co-chair, uh, or the vice chair, council member, Pam Foley. Uh, And I do want to start off this meeting on what will be more of a somber note, and while this year has been a challenging year with the pandemic, we sadly have had over 40 traffic fatalities, Uh, and as we meet and discuss things like stats and data, uh, we want to remember that these are lives lost, mothers, fathers, grandparents, and children's lives uh, who were cut short. I, along with Vice Chair uh, Foley would like to begin this meeting by reading off the names of all of those who have perished this year on our streets. Uh, And I will read uh, all the names um, from the beginning of the year up into our first Vision Zero meeting. Jose Sepulveda. Duncan Stout. Jesse Espinosa Garcia. Jose Caetano, Maria de Jesus Lopez Curiel, unnamed motorist, unnamed male motorist, unnamed male motorist, unnamed female pedestrian, Maurice Dillard, Quan Vo, Gerald Boyer, Casey Josephine Waifler Espinosa, Frank Coe, Cesar Heredia, unnamed male pedestrian. Calvin Green, unnamed male bicyclist. Julio Perez, unnamed male pedestrian. Cynthia Carmen Bernard, unnamed male bicyclist. Nicholas Hall, Rodrigo Llamas, unnamed female motorist, Romulo Soriano Jr. Alexander Leaston, unnamed female pedestrian, unnamed male pedestrian, unnamed male motorist, unnamed male mysicalist, Donald Fisher, unnamed motorist, and Christopher Sosa.
2: And I will read the names from the end of September through December 6th. Juan Sandoval Perez. Matthew Norried. Galindo Limon-Agradano. Maria Lourdes Garcia-Haurigui. Unnamed male pedestrian. Unnamed male pedestrian. Unnamed female pedestrian. Chandra Singh, unnamed female motorist, Amaris Medina.
1: Thank you very much, Councilmember Foley. Uh, and we will make a point of it to kick off each of our task force meetings, uh, listing off the names of those that have perished since our last meeting. Um, and it is certainly our hope to, to bring these names to light but also uh, as a recognition and, and our hope is to not list any names in the future so on september 25th uh, we kicked off the first task force meeting to bring together stakeholders at the county city and community level to help guide division zero strategies to make our streets safer and in particular the task force is intended to do the following provide quarterly traffic fatality and severe injury reports review quarterly traffic enforcement given to top 5KSI uh, causes bring together decision makers from city and county departments to leverage resources for a shared goal of reducing traffic fatalities and guide implementation of the Vision Zero action plan. Now, the theme of our meeting today is outreach, uh, and the theme of uh, of this uh, is one that's focused on action plan items aimed to help achieve Vision Zero. The outreach is broad in sense and includes community engagement, education, branding, and safety messaging, in addition to creating a thoughtful communication strategy that takes into account all available conceptual data. Regional collaboration is essential in ensuring we leverage agency resources to maximize community reach and that the effort is focused, meaningful, and inclusive. Many of you and your agencies already work in this space and I look forward to having a dialogue today on how we can best collaborate. To that end, two staff level working groups have been created uh, for staff of the city and county departments that are part of the Vision Zero Task Force to collaborate together. The outreach working group chose two agency departments, the County Office of Education and VTA, as well as two advocates, the California Walks and Walk San Jose, or excuse me, California Walks, Walk San Jose and AARP to share their outreach work today. The County Office of Education and VTA uh, cover our county broadly and have staffs who focus on creative impact and marketing California Walks and AARP work with key Vision Zero constituencies. The largest group of traffic fatalities in San Jose uh, by road user type are people hit while walking. 113 of over 250 people killed in traffic uh, in the last five years. Their median age was 52 years old. There have also been a clear, uh, there's also been a clear uptrend in the age of people hit while cycling. Uh, Their median age was 58. Uh, when they present later in today's meeting, I encourage you to think about collaboration opportunities. There will be a task force member discussion after their presentations, followed by open forum for the public to comment at the end of the meeting. Um, all right, and then I believe uh, we now have our minutes to be hosted. So um, the way we will we'll host our, uh, or post our meeting minutes um, from the September 25th meeting will be on the Vision Zero website. And uh, you may reach out to staff directly uh, with any comments or updates you may have. Uh, We will not be taking uh, motions or votes on the minutes, but they will be posted after each meeting. Okay, just a bit of housekeeping items. Um, This meeting uh, is being recorded and it will be posted. Panelists have been uh, muted by default. Since we do have a large group, please click on the raised hand uh, function in your toolbar in order to be called on, uh, and then mute and unmute accordingly. Attendees will have an opportunity to publicly comment on open forum. This is due to the large number of panelists and limited time. Uh, And speaking of limited time, we will do our very best to stay with the prescribed times on the agenda. Open forum will be at the end of the meeting. If you intend to speak during today's open forum, please raise your hand or press star nine on your phone uh, so we can gauge how much time we may need. Thank you. Right now we'll move to uh, the follow-up items, which are uh, BTA injuries and fatalities, data sharing with uh, the city of San Jose. Um, And I believe uh, we have Angelique Geta.
3: Thank you, council member. Um, So as you mentioned, um, although this meeting was to focus on outreach, we've been working on collecting data and um, actually had staff out revisiting the sites that seem to have a higher number of incidents to evaluate whether there are conditions that contribute to the incidents occurring. just for a little bit of background, anytime an incident occurs, um, particularly a serious injury or um, fatality, we have a team that does accident investigation and um, it is a very in-depth and de- uh, investigation and the reports are submitted to the regulatory agencies as appropriate. Um, at that time, we do look at um, not just the, uh, actions of the operator and the individual um, impacted. Um, But we also look at the um, weather conditions, street conditions, signage. Um, And so those are are very in-depth reports. And um, we are working through those reports to see if anything is highlighted as something that can be addressed by the Um, jurisdiction where the incident occurred because as you know we run throughout the county Um, typically if there is something that we identify we reach out to the appropriate jurisdiction um, and we we ask to work with them on correcting that condition sometimes it can be something as simple as a tree branch that's hanging too low that needs to be trimmed back that's causing our buses for example to continue to make contact with it or to have to swerve out of the way and then Um, another incident occurs because of that. Um, So that's just an example of how we go through our accident investigation. Um, With that said, on the bus side, we have yet to find um, anything with the locations that we have identified as having increased incidents in terms of steps that we can take with the city to um, uh, enhance safety, if you will, or to address any condition that may be interfering with our operations. That said, um, later on, and I think the city's presentation, there are intersections and corridors where we operate that we understand the city will be doing some sign enhancement or other enhancements to the road. And we'd like to work with the city to review and provide recommendations as they relate to transit operations. Um, I have identified an individual from my team that can work directly with city staff. That's Antonio Tovar. He's one of our safety officers and he is Um, well-experienced and well-versed in um, uh, transit operations and safety enhancements. On the light rail side of things, it's a bit different. Um, Although all uh, crossings that are at grade, um, which means that they're on the same level with the um, street and um, we'll have vehicles and pedestrians um, coming into contact with our crossings in terms of crossing over the tracks. for the most part, well, not for the most part, excuse me, all of our crossings are currently safety compliant and comply with all regulations, both federal and state. Um, There are some crossings within um, the area of the quiet zone in the city of San Jose um, that have seen an increase in um, incidents and when I say quiet zone, I I mean that we are not allowed to sound our horns. Um, We have been trying to work with the city on this Particular issue because of the increase in both residential and commercial development um, has brought more individuals into these areas and has, um, uh, in in our analysis, um, increased the opportunity for um, uh, an, more incidents to occur. Um, so we are not um, allowed to sound our horns in the quiet zone at all. What we're asking from the city. Um, And the FRA to support is um, a partial quiet zone um, so that we can respect the um, quiet time from adjacent uh, residents um, and only sound our horns during the day hours when activity is higher um, and not sound them in the evening hours. Um, This is consistent with uh, when we see the most of our incidents occurring because there is more activity during the day. Um, so we'd like to continue to have those conversations with the city and see if we can't come to an agreement um, in implementing a partial quiet zone. And we do think that that will impact the number of incidents that happen around the, uh, the rail in that area. Um, one last note, we would like to see um, added to the discussion um, are the delivery bots that we're seeing um, operating in the downtown area. We've had a couple of um, incidents or near misses with our trains and we understand that the city is in um, conversation with the um, the manufacturer or operator of those bots um, we'd like to have we'd like to be at the table in those conversations to ensure that um, there's not just interference with the trains but interference with our trains could lead to subsequent injury to individuals we want to make sure that that doesn't occur so we're continuing to work with um City staff, uh, we'd ask for a point person on the on the bots issue, um, and we're continuing to have uh, conversations with city staff on the quiet zone. And we'd ask for um, cooperation on a partial quiet zone, and and then we have a point person for the bus incidents in the areas identified by the city staff. That's the end of my report. I'm happy to answer any questions.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, Angelique, And just to clarify one thing, you had made a mention that you're not able to sound the, the horn at all. You are able to, the, the conductors are able to sound it if they see an intrusion, correct?
3: That is correct. Typically our operations allow us to sound a warning horn um, 20 seconds in advance of the intersection at intervals. And that actually uh, would help in the quiet zone because we do have um, a number of individuals that ignore our warning signals. So they go underneath or around the arms, um, both um, walking on bike and even in automobiles. Um, So even though the arms are down, they ignore them because they don't hear the train coming. And that's posed a challenge for us. So yes, if we see someone um, coming across the train, we can sound our horns then, but sometimes that's too late.
1: Thank you, and thank you for uh, providing the update. Um, And thank you for those that are already raising their hands. Uh, It it will help us as we can gauge to see how many public speakers we will have um, at the, uh, towards the end of the meeting. So uh, let's see here. Now uh, we'll go on to our reports and updates section. uh, And for item Uh, two reports and updates. Uh, Jesse Mintz-Roth will give us some updates on the Vision Zero key metrics, uh, updates on the Vision Zero Action Plan, priority action areas uh, will follow and presented by Jesse uh, Mintz-Roth and Vu Dao from Department of Transportation and Lieutenant Anaya from SJPD. Uh, And Task Force members, please feel free to ask questions during the presentation. Uh, after each item. Uh, And again, just use your raise hand function and I will monitor.
0: Okay, thank you, uh, council member Perales. I am going to go through uh, this part of the presentation. Um, So you can see here uh, that we are, uh, this year is an unusual year. um, And so we wanted to show a little bit of what that looks like Uh, compared to last year and also to the previous data years. Um, Basically, other US cities here as well um, have reported that traffic volume is down um, and so crashes and injuries are down, um, but speeding is still up due to lower congestion. And so that means that our fatal and severe injuries um, and fatalities are still in the range of previous years. So um, I will take us through a few data slides Um, so this looks at, um, 2020 compared to the previous five years for crashes. And so you can see that up until March, the data is in range of previous years. And then as we move on from March, the number of crashes, uh, goes below the, the range, um, uh, bringing us to where we are now, uh, which is, um, as I mentioned in the last slide, 20 to 30% below uh, normal. And this is the same idea, but for injuries, um, which you can see again, March is in the normal range. Um, and then as we get on from March, it drops below. Um, but then the point I made about um, there's less congestion, there's still a lot of um, there's still a lot of uh, severe injuries occurring. Uh, there's a lot of speeding. Um, and so we are still seeing the KSI rate to be in range um, of the last five years despite the lower traffic. Um, and this is consistent with other cities in the US. And then if we look to fatalities, um, this is very month to month and we're showing, we're also highlighted some quarters here to make it easier to see that as well. So um, you can see that the slope of the line uh, changes month to month and um, at the moment, there are 44 fatalities uh, in 2020. Uh, If you look at it month to month though, the way that it lands in August is low and the way that it lands in September is high. Um, At the moment, the way it landed in November is low, Um, so if we were to look at this on a, you know, compared to previous years, it's looking as if this year will end low, although as you can see, there's some months where there's a very high uptick, and typically in this time of year, we do tend to see an uptick um, due to uh, higher, basically due to rush hour occurring when it's darker out. Uh, basically daylight savings time, um, and also sometimes the holidays. So um, it's too early to say how the year will end compared to previous years. Um, But you can see the, the sort of month to month changes in the data in this slide. So um, that, this is to comp- look at the trend of the last 10 years. Obviously we've presented this slide many times showing that our fatality numbers have gone up a lot, um, doubled from 2010 to 2019. Um, so this just gives more context of the last slide. And uh, if we look at traffic fatalities by street user type, um, Also, we've used this slide a lot in the past too, but we wanted to show the way that 2020 has progressed compared to the last five years. So, so far in 2020, we're seeing the same type of splits by percentage that we have seen in recent years where um, people hit while walking are still the largest group, um, 43% at the moment compared to 42% last year. Um, And, motor vehicle occupant 41% this year compared to 37 uh, last year. So these are the new traffic fatalities that have occurred since we last met. Uh, We last met on the 25th um, for the task force. And at that point we were reporting traffic fatalities up to the 21st. And so this shows um, traffic fatalities actually the data at the top right isn't exactly right. We're showing them up until the 7th of December. And so 44 is the total number of fatalities but they occurred in 43 crashes because you'll see that number 35 here involves two people. Um, so uh, this is, I'm not gonna get too closely into this in this slide because um, the council member read the names at the beginning. Um, But I will mention that there is another unusual data type this year, which is fatalities that occur on private property, uh, which are number 38 and 39. Um, So now um, as this point, while I will give an update on the um, six priority areas of the Vision Zero Action Plan and uh, two of these sections will be given by other presenters. So the first section is to build robust data analytics tools and there's been good progress in this area. Um, we had been working on an RFP like process called startup and residence through the city otherwise known as STIR and through STIR we have selected Urban Logic as the contractor for this um, for this area and they were notified in November and so this month we are working on the scope development and um the r and stir is residency so the way this program works we will have them have a residency with us for the first three months um, of next year roughly speaking Um, i don't know if it exactly will start on january 1 but it probably will start in january Um, and then once we sort of accept the results of their residency we'll begin a one-year contract with them and uh, have the option to extend it to a total of three years um And we have worked with them before through a uh, pilot project in, I believe, 2018, 2019. Um, And so they made a a dashboard for us which is shown on the bottom left. But since that time, they've made a lot of um, improvements in the way they display data, such as the sort of idea of what a representation could look at on the bottom right of this slide. Um, Forming a Vision Zero task force, um, as we are all here, Um, Welcome to the second one, and the theme of this one is outreach. The next one will be on March 5th, 2021, which is a Friday, and its theme will be data. Um, And then the following one, also a Friday, will be June 4th, 2021, and we're working on the theme for that one. So I'm going to turn it over to Lieutenant Anaya from the San Jose Police Department to present this slide.
4: Hi, good morning. Um, so first off, uh, on our current slide uh, for this one, I would like to talk about some of the enforcement activity we're doing here in Traffic Enforcement Unit. Um, our meetings don't necessarily align with our quarters here at the police department. So I, I try to provide you the most up-to-date uh, on the second quarter. So I give you a progress uh, report here on the second quarter, which would uh, is reporting from uh, on the slide, which would be October 1st to December 5th. So as we're looking today, or as of the fifth, we've written 630 citations uh, and issued about 416 warnings here through the traffic enforcement unit. Um, You might wonder how that compares to quarter one. So quarter one, we had 414 sites written and 1,860 uh, approximately warnings during that first quarter, which is July through September. So we're changing our method of deployment based on COVID restrictions, countywide district uh, restrictions and things of that nature to keep our officers safe and to also keep the traveling public safe uh, when it comes to contact and minimizing contact as best we can. So our message uh, initially on the first quarter um, and that's why you see the citations a little bit lower on the first quarter um, was due to restricted um, activities from our officers as well as the public. And we moved to more of an enforcement model on quarter two. And so our citations uh, are increasing and our warnings are decreasing as a result of that. Uh, so we're looking at, we're constantly flexing based on what the county is doing with countywide COVID protocol and contact for the officers. And again, it's just it's keeping the traveling public safe as, as well as our officers when it comes to COVID and, and being as safe as we possibly can. Um, we look at uh, some of the things uh, that we're doing. We had a DUI checkpoint on the 22nd of November um, we also have an upcoming DUI checkpoint tomorrow evening. And uh, so, so those are some of the things we're doing after hours uh, in the traffic unit for our enforcement activities as well as education. Um, Fight the spike campaign, which is next on the list. That's uh, continued efforts again uh, with DOT, uh, with campaign type signage uh, on the, on the um, Vision Zero corridors, as well as us going out once those signage uh, those signs are put out for a week or so. And we're coordinating with them to go out and do um, after-hours enforcement and education for the public, and which would include citations and warnings, and and so on and so forth. And just again, educating the traveling public on on uh, their driving habits, driving behavior, looking for the common, um, uh, you know, the common violations out there that are causing the most of our fatalities, which are stop signs and stop lights and speed and distracted driving and things of that nature. So we're 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 continuing to enforce those those um those types of violations and and then also educating the public on on what they're doing what they can do better to uh to be safe out there on the roadways especially during darkness and that's really what fight the spike is about um is that transitional time frame uh from daylight savings when we're now traveling in a, uh, and it is darker out for them to realize what they're doing how they can be safer and keeping their lights on and all those things so that's a continuing thing what we're doing with dot um, a little progress on updating our, our, uh, analytics software and hardware for that matter here at the police department. Um, we're constantly, we're constantly looking at better ways to achieve some of the data that, that vision zero is looking for. Um, and what we found is we are deficient in that department. So we're looking at new software and new hardware for that matter for our officers to, uh, write citations and issue citations, and also, um, eventually moving towards automating our triple five data, which is our accident reporting data for analytics, um, both internally here at the PD and externally with DOT, so they can look at our reports a little bit easier and we can get the data that they need to, to properly analyze what's going on with the accidents and, and looking at some of the things that now we're, we're utilizing humans to analyze this data when we, could, we can, um, with the assistance of, of um, new software, we can, we can provide that data much more quickly. Um, so we're currently looking at vendors, um, and working with vendors and getting presentations on a couple of different products. Um, we recently issued cell phones to all officers on the department, which will, uh, help them in the issuance of citations, um, and collecting that data. And we're also looking at things that software wise that will integrate well, um, with our current report writing system and our current report writing software. So those are things that are important to us when we're looking at this, uh, internally things that I'm working on with our system development unit. And um, eventually here, we'll go out to RFP so we can figure out exactly which, uh, which vendor we're gonna use. Um, so those are things that we're working on internally uh, with regards to software and analytics. Um, and then onto the, the traffic enforcement unit and our staffing update, which is something we, we are uh, talking about quite often. Um, I recently presented on this uh, to the city council. So I know Councilman um, Perales, you've, you've kind of heard a little of this, but I do wanna update the uh, the rest of the group. Um, We're looking at deploying or moving towards a two-team staffing model. One of the big things that uh, we look at uh, internally is that we do have a void in the evening hours for our commute time and some of the enforcement uh, during the evening. So um, as we progress and as the department fills vacancies and fills voids, um, we're looking at potentially moving an additional sergeant into traffic and one additional officer. And what that would do, um, and it doesn't sound like much, but that allows me as a program manager to look at the unit and actually delineate, uh, instead of having one team of eleven officers, it allows me to have two teams, hence two sergeants, uh, and have two six-man teams where we can do a deployment in uh, a modified swing shift type hour, and then still also cover our morning and uh, and daytime commute with our day shift team. So eventually, we're looking at moving towards those uh, those types of uh, of the deployment model uh, internally. But again, staffing will will dictate how quickly I can do that. Um, I know it's a, it's a priority from uh, our chief's office and they're looking into it as we get officers and uh, there is vacancies everywhere as everyone knows. So it's, it's, it's again, it's a prioritization between our patrol function, our Bureau of Investigations, other special operations units that are looking for officers but um, I know it is a priority. And so we're looking at a timeline from within the next year or so to hopefully move to that type of a model. Um, and again, as these officers become available, the, the chiefs are constantly reevaluating how we can deploy better and to better serve the community. Um, we have procured sufficient equipment. So we are, um, online to, uh, once we expand, we have the motorcycles, we have the equipment, we have the things in place already. So we won't be chasing that, uh, equipment portion of it. And we won't be behind the eight ball. If we do get the staffing, we are ready to deploy them, um, as quickly as possible. Once that staffing moves into place. So, um, you'll kind of see that start to move towards that direction as we get our staffing moved up and, um, that's essentially it for uh, for the police department. And, and if anyone has any questions, i will be happy to answer them. Yeah, I do see
1: uh, our uh, vice chair uh, Foley has her hand up.
2: Thank you. Uh, thank you, Lieutenant and I, a good uh, presentation. I appreciate it. I just had a question for you or an ask. Two, uh, one question and an ask. You talked about the number of citations and warnings. I, I see it on the slide for the last couple of months but in future task force meetings, would it be possible to have the year to date information? Because as you were going through them, I was trying to write them down, but I didn't, I didn't get them. So I'm wondering if you could give those to me again so I can uh, keep track of it a little bit better, but in future reports, if you could have the, the year to date numbers so we understand where the number, the scope of the number of citations being issued and the number of warnings.
4: Absolutely. And I, and I apologize for that. I, I initially wasn't going to give comparative stats for quarter one, but I think it's important for all of us to understand um, because we are in such flux with COVID, it is a difficult task and it's, it's hard to compare quarter to quarter. And I think I just wanted to put that out and, and uh, I apologize for not having that. So, so for quarter one, I know you have the quarter two up there, up to date uh, as up to at least December 5th. So for quarter one, I'll, I'll repeat that really quick. Quarter one, we issued 414 citations. And for warnings, we issued 1,865.
2: Okay, that's what I thought you said.
4: Eight. Yep. And so, so, what happens? And maybe Is I. Is that how does every-
2: that? Uh, go ahead. I'm wondering how that compares so, for prior years.
4: Well, no. so we've issued, we're issuing a lot more warnings now than we ever have. And part of that is because of minimizing contact with the public. And what I mean by that, to give you an example, if an officer stops uh, a violator on the roadway, um, that officer has to have direct contact at the window, number one, uh, with the violator to explain why they were stopped and all the legalities of, of a traffic stop, right? With the police officer. And then they have to interact by getting a driver's license, a registration, a proof of insurance and all that physical documentation. Then they take that information back to their motorcycle or police car and then they will issue a citation and write that citation out either write it on a paper citation or um, as most officers in our unit do they utilize a tablet Um, every one of the officers in our unit uses a tablet on a day-to-day basis so what happens is now they have another item that they have to interact with the with the violator with and that being a almost an ipad like device uh, for lack of a better term with a stylus where they have to sign that citation So what happens is um, we are issuing more warnings to minimize all of that contact and interaction with a physical device um, and and the driver's license and the registration. And and again, it's a safety issue, not only for the officers, but it's a safety for the public. So um, we transition to more of a warning based or educational based. I like to use. I mean, we we use the term warning, but essentially a car stop uh, in every case, whether you're getting a citation or not. It's the ultimate goal is to, to you know correct behavior. And so if we go out there on an educational piece where we're not interacting with all of that physical uh, information, if you will, or physical devices, um, and we still get our point across to get people to slow down, it's a success either way. And so what we really moved from was the super egregious violations to more citing, um, citing more of the public. Um, that are committing the the day-to-day violations. I mean, we were doing speeding citations. We're saying, okay, well, let's let people get away with a little more than normal, right? Because we don't want to, we want to minimize that contact. However, we are going to stop them and we are going to educate them on what they're doing. So we've transitioned a little bit, if you will, back to more of the citation-based model, which is what we've done in the past.
2: Great. I, I appreciate that. And then just to confirm the number of officers you have in the Traffic enforcement unit. What's the current number of officers? It sounds like you're you want to hire another sergeant, but where are we to, as of today? What's the number of officers in that unit?
4: Yeah, so that's a good question. So right now we are at 11 officers. Okay, uh, and this is the enforcement side now because I'm going to stick to enforcement because that's really what we're talking about. The sure. enforcement side, 11 officers and one sergeant. Okay. So, my goal, and again, this is a short term goal because I do want to be able to provide the community with the, with the service that we think they need. And um, that initial addition of one sergeant and one officer would give me really the bare bones minimum to split into two teams. Okay. And that's, that's kind of what the, the direction we're looking at going.
2: Okay. Thank you. That's it. I appreciate it. Good information.
4: Thank you.
1: Thank you. I don't see any other hands from our task force members.
0: Great. Um, I'll continue. Um, So for the fourth area, increased community outreach and engagement. um, The theme of this meeting is outreach. So we're very excited to engage everyone on this topic and later on discuss opportunities for possible collaboration in the future. Um, But in addition to that, we have. The Vision Zero Strategic Communications RFP, which is one of the key areas of the the vision zero action plan and it is currently posted at the website that's shown on screen right now. So if anyone watching this meeting is aware of any consultants who may be interested to apply, please send them to that website. Um, The closing date is January 8th, 2021. And then we'll be going through a process to evaluate all of the, um, all, of the th- all of the bids that are sent in. And we expect that consultant to begin in spring or summer 2021. A lot of the idea behind discussing outreach before they start is to uh, make it possible for them to um, you know, begin with a running start. So we're quite excited for this conversation today. Um, in the area of, in this general area, in terms of our current work, uh, we also wanted to mention um, a campaign that we call Fight the Spike, uh, basically referring to the typical spike in fatalities we tend to see during daylight savings time, which la- which is now, and lasts from November to March. We are doing five deployments of changeable message signs, which are the type of sign you see on the bottom right image. Um, and so they say things like "slow down" in English and Spanish, and um, they will be placed on the 17 Vision Zero corridors over five different deploy- deployments. And we are coordinating this effort with the San Jose Police Department on traffic enforcement, specifically speeding. Um, and we're also working with the County Roads and Airports Department to include the two Vision Zero corridors, which are in uh, among the roads that among the two. Uh, sorry the two Vision Zero corridors which are County Expressways. Um, And so we're also rolling out an image that you see on the top right of this slide that says look out when it's dark out. And this will be uh, in three languages and uh, we're interested um, in finding some, we'll be working with council offices um, on this uh, effort. Um, So I'm now going to turn it over to uh, Vu Dao from DOT to uh, discuss the quick build uh, safety improvements.
5: Thank you, Jesse. Mr. Chairman, Council Member Foley, members of the task force. Quick build strategy in traffic safety means using uh, temporary uh, low cost material to construct safety improvements and they typically include paint for striping, plastic delineators, roadway signage, and minor signal modification. And quick build project can be built relatively quickly and much more affordable comparing to capital improvement project that can be very expensive and it can take years to plan, design and build. And as part of the Vision Zero Action Plan adoption early this year, council allocated uh, funding for us to implement a quick view improvements on the first 11 miles of the priority safety corridors. The first major corridor improvement under this effort is Center Road, where work has already started. Uh, Fruitdale Avenue is next, with Story Road currently under design. Uh, But we are not just focusing on corridor. We are also making improvements at specific high risk locations where the data leads us to them. We will be making uh, improvements at the Guadalupe River Trail underpasses where unfortunately two cyclists uh, died this year. Uh, We also will be making improvement at Silver Creek and Daniel Maloney intersection where there is a high frequency of pedestrian crashes. Uh, The two uh, future plan corridors uh, currently in planning is Hillsdale Avenue and also Brandon Lane. Next slide, please. Here are some examples of quick-build improvements that we have completed recently at three locations in the Guadalupe Washington neighborhood uh, just south of downtown San Jose. The top left image shows a left-turn calming treatment where we install plastic bollards at the center line adjacent to the crosswalk uh, to slow down left-turn movement. In this location where pedestrians uh, are competing with the left-turn drivers, So this will slow down the drivers and make it safer for pedestrian crossing at this crosswalk. The bottom left uh, image Here's an example of curb extension where we use plastic bottles, again, and striping to tighten up the corner to slow down the right turn drivers and enhance visibility for pedestrians. The bottom right image shows an, uh, an enhanced crosswalk where we upgrade a standard crosswalk to a ladder design to clearly delineate the spacing for pedestrians. We also did a minor signal programming change to allow pedestrians uh, to enter the intersection prior to giving the green indicator to the drivers. And that makes it safer for pedestrian crossing at uh, at this crosswalk. So these are examples of quick build improvements that we uh, have done recently and will continue to do uh, to make it safer for pedestrians. So in summary, we are making progress in this effort. We will continue to implement safety projects following this model and we believe that quick build can reduce the risk for people walking biking and driving hence will reduce the number of fatal and severe injuries crashes on our roadway thank you for the opportunity back to you jesse Uh,
0: thank you Vu. Um, so the last area is to discuss prioritizing resources on high ksi corridors and districts and um, obviously we discussed data analytics very important um, when we have the abilities, to, uh, once that consultant is on, it'll help us inform um, the project locations and prioritizations. Um, and we also do that now to some extent with using GIS internally. Um, but I also wanted to talk a little bit of, a little bit more about the project that Vu just mentioned, which is the Guadalupe Washington project. Um, that came in as a community request uh, where there was a request to do pedestrian safety improvements and look at speeding in the neighborhood. And we looked at the whole area and we used data to prioritize which intersections to make improvements. So we ranked the intersections by injury frequency and then we prioritized the uh, pedestrian injuries and fatalities that we had in the data to select the three locations where that project was based. Uh, Vu also mentioned that uh, earlier in 2020, we mentioned this at the last uh, meeting, We had two very unusual fatalities, which are bike on bike fatalities. Um, Those have never been recorded in San Jose before. And so um, we worked with the uh, parks department who manages the trails. And so this is a good example of the type of partnering that we can do through the task force, working with other departments um, to install Quick Build on the trails. Um, and installed these signs, which you can see here, these were installed uh, in November, 2020. So just very recently. Um, And we prioritized, there were were two locations we prioritized at least for this first one, the higher KSI district, which is district three, but we are still planning to do this type of treatment at the other location in district four. Um, So now um, that's the end of this section. And I'll turn it back to the council member.
1: Thank you very much. And uh, I do see a hand we have uh, Rhonda McClinton Brown.
6: Yeah, hi, I have a question going back and I'm sorry, um, I've been listening, but I, I had a question going back for, for you, Jesse. Um, in the fatalities or the accidents that happened on property um, that was unusual, were those commercial properties or residential properties
0: Uh, they were commercial properties they were uh two properties on story road um they were uh i believe they were both um malls that have parking uh, private parking lots yeah Okay.
6: okay yeah the story road corridor is a is a real area of focus i think that Uh, There's so much traffic there. Thank you for clarifying that for me. Sure.
1: Thank you. Okay. I don't see any other hands going up from our panelists Um, and um, I did neglect to after I called for role in the beginning, uh, I did neglect to at least uh, introduce those that were were here. We're running a little bit behind schedule. So I'm just going to run down the list and next time, uh, the next task force meeting, we'll we'll let you introduce yourselves. So you already know our vice chair is here, Pam Foley. From the city of San Jose, uh, uh, we have John Risto, uh, our our director of Department of Transportation. Um, From our police department, we have uh, Deputy Chief Heather Randall and Lieutenant Anaya. Uh, From the fire department, we actually have our fire chief today sitting in, uh, Chief Robert Sapien. Uh, From the city of San Jose Public Works, we have Michelle Kimball. From the city of San Jose Economic Development, we have Sal Alvarez. From the City of San Jose Housing Department, we have Reagan Henninger uh, from BTA, Angelique Geta. We have from County Roads and Airports, Harry Freitas, from the County Public Health, uh, Rhonda McClinton Brown, and uh, our County uh, Office of Education, Mary Ann Duan, Cal Walks, Nikita Sinha, Silicon Valley Bike Coalition, John Cordes, and from AARP, we have Fred Buzo, uh, and not with us today uh, from the County Medical Examiner uh, Corner, uh, Michelle Jordan. Uh, and uh, City of San Jose Planning Department, Michael Brio, and City of San Jose Parks, Neil Rafino, who are also on the task force. And so now, um, let me check back to have yep, no other hands. Okay, so now we will move into um, our outreach session. Thank you, Jesse and, and our other presenters. Um, so now to continue on outreach, please join me in welcoming uh, Christina Arponte, the assistant director of Creative Impact and Public Affairs at the County of Office of Education, Nikita Sinha from Walk San Jose Program, uh, Walk San Jose Program Manager, um, Fred Buzo, Associate uh, State Director for AARP, and Lauren Ledbetter, BTA's Bicycle and Pedestrian Program Manager. Each will have ten minutes to present the outreach strategies at their agencies and how the City of San Jose can collaborate with those efforts. Uh, and again, Task Force members, please uh, uh, save your questions for for the end of the presentations, but uh, as we will have uh, a lengthy time to be able to, to discuss and then you can use the raise hand feature. Welcome, and I believe Christina's first up.
7: Yes, good morning, thank you for having me. Um, as, I meant, um, as you mentioned, I'm Dr. Christina Arpante, the Assistant Director of Creative Impact uh, and Public Affairs at the Santa Clara County Office of Education. Uh, My pronouns are she, her, and hers. Thank you so much for having me join you today. Um, And again, thank you for uh, Dr. Marianne Dewan um, for having me as well. So I'd like to begin, if you would indulge me for a few minutes, next slide. Uh, There is a quote uh, I'd like to begin this presentation with. uh, Unity is strength. When there is teamwork and collaboration, wonderful things can be achieved. I'd like you to just take a moment to think to yourself, what does this quote mean to you and your role and the role of this task force? What words resonate with you? And it's just a quiet personal reflection as we talk about outreach. So your personal reflections are gonna be really important um, as we move forward um, as a collective with this outreach. Next slide. And uh, to continue with that, uh, those reflections, I'd like you now to think about the work, the work of the task force and think about what is the one word you want others to say about your service and support. So um, we often do this with our uh, professional learning or um, in any kind of opportunities. Um, I did this as a professional learning um, pr- facilitator as well as a, a principal and start at the beginning of the year and say, okay, what do I want people to come away with? And that's how I would plan my meetings and my um, sessions. So I'm not sure if this is uh, possible, but if you'd like to indulge me in popcorning, maybe unmuting yourself and thinking about a word that comes to mind, um, that would be great. Is that possible? So again, what is the one word that you want others to say about your service or support with this task force? Authentic. Thank you. Inclusive. Thank you. Any other thoughts? Collaborative. Thank you. Great. So authentic, inclusive and collaborative, thank you. So um, as we continue today, I'd like you to have these words in the back of your mind as well as any other words that may come to mind um, that were not voiced um, uh, out loud, but maybe um, in, in a, you know, personally in your reflections. Um, so thank you again for that. And we'll come back to these three words in just a moment. Uh, next slide. So with that, as a reminder, the Santa Clara County Office of Education is a um, state regional service agency um, that's led by uh, Dr. Marianne DeLon, our county superintendent of schools, um, and um, who is, again, a member of this uh, task force. Her transformational leadership encourages, inspires, and motivates staff, community, and partners uh, to innovate and create change. Uh, Such authentic leadership um, is paramount as um, we as an organization at the SCCOE provides instructional um, business and technology services to our 31 school districts, um, as well as our own uh, programs and initiatives and uh, beyond within the community. Next slide. So how does this connect to my presence here today? Uh, I joined the group via the outreach working group. Um, which, is, uh, which we met and we began to lay the groundwork for collaboration. And after an initial meeting and discussions with Jesse and Anna and um, other uh, colleagues, our initial ideas, by, you know, which by no means are static or, or set in stone, are likely to fall into the following buckets at this time. Um, so I thought about community outreach and communication, district and school-based content, as well as development and production services. So what do I mean by community outreach and communication? Um, And again, what we welcome dialogue and and communication. Uh, As far as today is concerned, I wanted to begin with information sharing and collaborative content development. Um, Specifically with information sharing, our offices engage in several outreach opportunities, including um, several and regular calls and email communications and meetings with our district uh, public information officers. And these PIOs are really a a direct through line uh, from our office to our school districts and uh, their respective communities. Um, And uh, whether the information sharing is urgent or a heads up, um, they're really um, extremely responsive and collaborative uh, to get the information out there. Uh, In addition, Dr. Dewan engages in regularly uh, engaging in our district with our district superintendents and um, has regular uh, e-communications. The assistant superintendents of the districts also meet regularly. And then uh, we are uh, increasing our uh, social media presence as well. Um, Our department in the communications communications department, we have a weekly newsletter that we call the COVID Weekly Roundup. And that includes the uh, latest information and events, not only with, with what's going on with COVID, uh, but also in and around the, the organization as well as community um, information and information for our parents. So uh, one thing I was thinking about as far as outreach, you know, with rigor information and, and, and initiatives that are going on, you know, the possibility of including a, um, a Vision Zero um, section actually in our um, newsletter um, that was, popped up when I was planning this. Um, and then, you uh, you know, the, with planning after we um, get, come out of the COVID um, loop, really continuing that month um the, the communication and ease, youth newsletter and not just stopping it. Um, and like, like I mentioned also social media. So that's a, a, another huge area of collaboration um, with posting with um, in conjunction with or for um, our partners. Which brings me to the next possibility of collaborative uh, content development. So, with social media specifically, we have been uh, we have begun to create social media toolkits that have gone out to our public information officers. Uh, there are different uh, levels of the the toolkit, so we have monthly toolkits which um, highlight different uh, events or holidays or um, special somethings that are going on during the month. Um, so, for instance, um, you know this month is Human Rights Month, and um, And um, we have our different holidays and celebrations, uh, especially with COVID reminders. Uh, We also have FYIs, so we have digital learning, safety, uh, social emotional learning. So there's a really great opportunity to collaborate with the different agencies here to create toolkits. We also have opportunities to um, support and uh, collaborate with webinar and meeting hosts. Uh, We uh, do have, um, like many of you, we have large meeting um, accounts with Zoom and um, we have uh, streaming opportunities, whether it's Facebook or YouTube. And we're happy to support with that as well, um, especially getting out to our communities and our parents. Next slide. Um, And speaking of uh, content for specific with districts, um, in our meetings with the outreach uh, I've heard and we talk about many times where um, your teams are going out to the schools virtually or otherwise um, and presenting to classes and kids. Um, And we have a really robust um, group of experts in our professional learning and instructional support division that provides leadership and uh, professional learning and instructional opportunities um, especially with um, curriculum and college and career and technical education skills and parent engagement. Uh, so as your, uh, your teams really think about this development, our, our experts here really can help with those connections to the state standards, um, the cross content. So, you know, even when we're talking about speed and, you know, even all grades, you know, K-12, we can go to calculus and the slope intercept and the velocity and all that kind of stuff. Um, Really making explicit um, content uh, connections as well as ensuring that we have um, access, we provide access for our English language learners and um, students who are receiving our special education services. Um, As well as we do have a a parent engagement and support services section uh, or or group, as well as distance learning strategies. Uh, Next slide. And then um, the other part um, that I wanted to mention was our um, our production services. We have um, two graphic designers, two production techs, um, and a full uh, print service shop here that uh, we are happy to collaborate with. Um, you know, we can talk about timelines and planning and purchase orders and that type of thing. Um, but we do we have worked a lot in um, the past and are currently working with um, our partners with uh, different, whether, whether it's the data book or, you know, currently our office is um, creating some public service announcements and um, we do a lot of work to support our LGBTQ youth and, and equity. So there's also opportunity um, with that as well. Last slide. So while this is a short presentation and there's um, you know, a lot to cover, really the possibilities are endless. And um, I know that our office is um, happy to chat further with anybody who would like to ideate or share potential opportunities. Um, and you know, that maybe popped in your mind was, as I was talking and really thinking about um, going back to those words that you mentioned earlier of collaborate, uh, co- collaborative, inclusive and um, authentic. And really, whatever our next steps are, um, keeping those words in mind. So as we connect, uh, we really uh, come together and uh, model how we are stronger together. So thank you for this
8: opportunity.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, And I believe next up is Nikita.
8: Yeah, good morning, everybody. Um, I'm gonna share just a little bit about some of the um, work that we did with um, the Department of Transportation uh, earlier this year. So, um, uh, my name is Nikita Sinha. I'm the Walk San Jose Program Manager with California Walks. We're a nonprofit organization who works statewide um, as a voice for pedestrian safety and walkable communities. And in San Jose, our Walk San Jose program serves to locally uphold that same vision. Next slide, please. So, um, with the with the city's Department of Transportation. Um, through uh, the 2019 to 2020 cycle of um, funding from the Office of, uh, California Office of Traffic Safety, we were able to complete a senior safety outreach program um, uh, earlier this year, primarily over the summer. So I'll talk a little bit about um, how we adopted some of our outreach strategies in, uh, in March and, and moving forward um, with shelter in place to, to meet the needs of our, our audience. So the image on the slide here is our um, one of our one of our key goals from the project, which was um, a safe walking tips uh, resource, which was intended to be a rack card as a leave behind in community centers. One of the first things that we did was adapt this um, to include a couple COVID-related tips, including um, wearing a mask and social distancing, but more importantly to use the reverse side of the flyer as um, an outreach strategy um, a, a, as a flyer to be distributed um, with information on our, on our safety education presentations. Um, and so there was two main reasons that we wanted to do this. One is that um, we wanted to be able to distribute a resource widely that anybody who received the resource um, in a sense also received the contents of the presentation. So you don't have to have a computer or a laptop or a cell phone to be able to, to receive the same information. Um, and then the second was that we wanted to also outreach, do outreach on the presentations in a way that um, was not reliant on electronic resources. So these were distributed with a massive amount of help from the PRNS department through their um, senior meal uh, distribution program through the, through the community centers. So these went out to hundreds of seniors um, in San Jose through uh, 12 community centers. Um, we also adapted the presentations. Originally, we had intended to be able to go to the community centers, to talk during the senior nutrition program, um, and those were those were um, uh, turned into a, an online Zoom presentation. So we delivered fifteen presentations. Um, we also delivered three virtual walk audits. So originally we we had intended to um, be able to work with a small group of. Um, Seniors at each community center to do a walk audit, um, ideally around the community center or around the senior housing site to be able to to do an assessment of safety needs in areas where seniors are frequently visiting. Um, Instead, what we did was we worked with three different neighborhood associations on virtual walk audits using primarily um, Zoom and the Google Maps Street View feature, as well as photos and videos from the site, which we took beforehand. Um, So through that, we were still able to pull together a significant amount of feedback on um, the safety needs of the older adult population specifically, um, despite the the challenges of not being able to um, meet in person. Next slide, please. So a couple of our main lessons learned on on the online outreach side. The first thing is that we didn't want to rely completely on on just um, electronic distribution or online online outreach. So that was the main reason that we turned our safety um, resource into a flyer to be distributed physically. Um, We also talked about um, potentially in the future using mailers or even radio as a way to reach people who um, we may have been able to reach in person but um, don't have the same access to technology. Um, we also wanted to um, highlight the need to connect, connect with e- existing networks, so in this, um, in this project, connecting with neighborhood associations, parent-teacher associations, um, as well as um, uh, the libraries and the community centers was a massive benefit, so allowed us to um, tap into these networks that already exist, um, a- as we were also trying to reach new people as well. And then the last thing, um, the main lesson learned, and, and this just goes for any outreach in general, is to know your audience. So for us, it was really important. Um, there was a lot of trial and error, but it was really important for us to get, to get a better understanding of um, what are the languages that people need interpretation for in different parts of the city or in different um, community centers or housing sites. Um, what, are the, what are the accessibility needs, including um, do people need live ASL translation? Do they need closed captioning for our videos? or our presentations, or do they need um, transcripts or even notes provided afterwards? Um, And then also to understand the technology uh, limitations, which is why having some sort of physical distribution is also really important. Uh, Next slide, please. And lastly, I just wanted to share um, uh, an image and some information on our our recent World Day of Remembrance for Road Traffic Victims um, event, which happened on um, November 17th. Um, so, this is an event that happens annually in, uh, to to honor and remember the people who have, who have died on our streets and I want to say thank you to Councilmember Perales and Council Member Foley for reading the names at the beginning of this meeting um, and for for committing to doing that moving forward that's in, that's incredibly meaningful. Um, so this event, uh, you, what you see in the image in front of you is um, an image of 250 pairs of shoes, one to signify each traffic fatality in San Jose over the past five years. Or just under five years, actually, from uh, January first, twenty sixteen, to November seventeenth, twenty twenty. So we wanted to, con- even though it was a, a relatively small event, um, and we, you know, maintained social distancing, um, we wanted to still have this event, especially, um, you know, having this this image and this visual because uh, we wanted to make the point that even with everything going on, the challenges. the the incredible challenges that we're facing this year, um, this is still a reality, this is still happening. I think some of the points that Jesse brought up earlier this meeting are are incredibly um, significant as well to see that even though um, there's been been lower traffic, we're not yet sure that there's gonna be a significant drop in our um, fatalities or severe injuries. Um, This is still a reality and still something that that demands our our attention at every moment. I wanna say thank you to Councilmember Member and Foley for for attending and for speaking, as well as to um, uh, DOT Director John Risto for for attending and for your support. And most importantly, I wanna say thank you to the families who made this event happen, who continue to show up and share their stories and for their continued advocacy, because it's it's just incredible every time to hear from them. And that's all I have, thank you.
1: Thank you, Nikita, and uh, next up is Fred Guzzo.
9: Hello, uh, my name is Fred Buzo. I'm an associate state director for AARP California, uh, but uh, based here in uh, San Jose. Uh, been a resident here for over 20 years now, and live in uh, Councilmember Foley's district. So I am a uh, constituent of uh, Councilmember Foley as well. Next slide. So look, like like everybody else, COVID-19 hit us hard. Um, in many many different ways uh, disproportionate impact on older adults uh, we had to go from uh in 2019 doing you know five percent of our events and meetings and things like that online to now uh nearly a hundred percent online um, and nevertheless you know communities around the country kept telling us including san jose that they were committed to addressing the needs of older adults in different ways, right? I mean, you, you had such an impact on older, older adults in terms of the virus, uh, whether it was uh, uh, you know the the health impacts themselves or uh, sheltering in place and what results come from that, uh, meaning uh, social isolation and 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 things of that nature. So, but communities uh, around the country tell, were telling telling us that they they wanted to do what they they could to to help out. Next slide. Uh, These are some of the statements that we were hearing uh, from folks. So self-isolation is is a key term here, but also, you know, there's a tremendous need for connections to recreation, to nature, Uh, access to the internet and technology have been a barrier, Uh, walkability, aging in place, and communication infrastructure are higher priorities now more than ever. Pandemic has shown us uh, how we need to improve communication system to get critical information to all town residents, so or, or all city residents, and that and, and this is sort of something that's happening across the country. I know the city's been dealing with it as well, uh, but uh, we've we've been seeing this play play out all over the place. Next slide. So what do we do, right? We we did what a lot of folks did. I mean, we we did uh, because it was something that was new to us. It was a it was a new situation that we had to deal with rather quickly. We turned to social media, whether it was Twitter, Facebook. Uh, we c- conducted a lot of Zoom meetings now, um, Facebook live events, and uh, you know, the reception has been mixed. Uh, quite frankly, we we've had a hard time connecting with. Uh, our members uh, in the way that we used to connect with them in the past, because uh, in, in the past, we would do a lot of more sort of what folks might call old-fashioned types of events, right? In-person events is now sort of, you know, folks, uh, even now, it seems like a million years ago that we were going out to community events and talking to people and shaking hands and, and just think talking about the issues that, that are important to them in person. Uh, t- telephone, and I'll talk a little bit more about that direct mails, things of that nature. So we did these things, um, these new, use these new types of methods in order to try to reach our, um, our members, but we, we were and we still are having a hard time. Next slide. And this is one of the reasons why we're having a hard time, is as folks get older, as you can imagine, this is from a study that was done in 2019 out of uh, UC Berkeley. So this is statewide, but you'll see as folks get older, they're they're either more, uh, they are more unconnected to the internet. And and while those numbers are shrinking, it's still a pretty significant number. And so moving to this virtual world uh, has been difficult and this is one of the reasons why it has been difficult. So this is just connectivity period. This doesn't even go into Hey, I have an internet connection. How do I use my computer? How do I use my iPad? How do I get onto Zoom? So it doesn't go into training. It doesn't go into access itself. Uh, you know, whether it's hotspots or I have a cell phone, but my cell phone service is spotty and that sort of thing. Uh, it doesn't go into uh, you know devices. Hey, I might have an internet connection, but a really old device that. Um, that I bought, like, you know, in 1995 or something like that, you know, so, uh, so it, it's, it's all connected here, right? Connectivity is connected to the ability to do outreach and engagement in this era that we're in, that we find ourselves in. Next slide. So old is new. And I, and I did talk about this a, a little bit in mentioning sort of tele halls. And I do literally mean tele halls with your telephone. <laughs> and so AARP has the ability to do teletown town halls. We've been doing it for decades now, uh, but again, you know, it, it really depends on how many folks you want to reach. Uh, we, you know, it's not something that we want to do all of the time. So, uh, and the issue has to be important enough and. Uh, to attract large numbers in, in, in order for the teletown hall to be, you know, worth it, so to speak. So we've had teletown halls on COVID, for example. Well, of course, th- those are going to get a lot of folks because, of, because that's a front and center issue right now. Uh, we've had teletown halls on fraud, for example, uh, which is also big, like 24-7, 365 days a year. It's a huge issue. And those will get big, you know, big people or big numbers direct mail, we also have the ability to do direct mail. I mean, we have uh, close to 70,000 members in San Jose, but again, with direct mail, uh, because I work for a state office, AARP at the national level, sure, folks know about the magazine, they get the bulletin, which looks like the old parade magazine, which I'm dating myself there, but uh, direct mail at the state level, we have the ability to do direct mail but not that often. So when we do direct mail, it has to be, it's it's almost like a one-shot deal per year. And so it's gotta be a really, really good message. And it has to be on something that is like absolutely important to that community. And uh, so direct mail is there. Spatially distance in-person offerings when when they are permitted. This year, we did see a little bit of that actually. I know, you know, maybe we don't think about it in those terms, but I do think about like, uh, closing off San Pedro Street, for example, you know, I know there are plans that were adopted in the budget to do movie nights and parks and stuff like that, hopefully in 2021, but uh, at those kinds of events, how how can we show up there without actually, quote, showing up, you know, like, uh, even if we still can't shake hands and talk to people in person, close up, you know, how, how do we show up at these places? And then here it says creative virtual offerings, but really, uh, it should have said creative Virtual offerings. That was my mistake, because I kind of felt like back when being on Zoom and doing all of these online meetings was sort of cool and different. We were more creative about it, you know. Now it's just sort of like, well, I got to get on the Zoom meeting and I'll, you know, put the put the camera on here and there, and I'll move, uh, you know, I'll turn on I'll turn off my mute when I have to, and things like that. And I just felt like. We're, we're, we've kind of gone away from being creative when it comes to virtual offerings, at least at ARP. I know we're, we're starting to think about what can we do to be more creative in the future because uh, what we're doing now we, we just aren't getting as much uh, a response as we would want to. And then as a you know Nikita message, and it's not in this slide, is radio and television, which again is is an old form of. Uh, you know, community outreach and engagement in, in many ways. And so uh, I think this, this next year, we are going to really try to see what we can do more on radio and on television to get messages out that are important to older adults. And, uh, and with that, though, I think overall the message is, is that we're going to have to create a better narrative around pedestrian safety. Uh, because one, one thing that we're seeing, whether it comes to housing, um, whether it comes to, uh, you know, uh, even, even health, health care, when it comes to long-term care facilities, facts, it's really, I know this is going to be hard, you know, not so popular sometimes, but the data sometimes is not compelling. Just using data as your narrative sometimes just does not get the, does not attract folks to the events and to the, Uh, you know, whether they're online or not, um, does not attract them to that event. And so we, I think we all need to do a better job. And I don't have that answer, but I do think we need to do a better job at creating a narrative around pedestrian safety that attracts more people to to learn about it and to learn about things like Vision Zero because it is important. And we are seeing this play out all over the country in terms of fatalities and older adults who are severely injured. So, um, you know, I am obviously I'm willing to work with uh, folks who have ideas. Uh, please let me know. Unfortunately, I did not put my contact information on here like Nikita, but uh, um, you know my um, you can contact uh, Jesse and he can provide you with with my contact information. I've I've worked with Jesse and the, and Councilmember Perales uh, on this issue, and so uh, I look forward to working with everyone else on this as well. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Fred. And I think last up is uh, Lauren Ledbetter.
10: Great, thank you for um, inviting us to present on this. So um, I'm a senior transportation planner at VTA and manage the bicycle and pedestrian program. And I have uh, four short slides and I'm gonna talk about the outreach efforts that VTA leads that are related to safety and I just wanted to preface this by saying that the, um, the efforts that we do are multi-departmental within VTA. It includes our system safety and security, our outreach team, marketing, and then um, my bicycle and pedestrian program. So uh, the first item I want to highlight is our countywide bicycle and pedestrian safety campaign. In 2021, we're going to be launching a countywide safety campaign focused on reducing behaviors that contribute to bicyclists and pedestrians being seriously injured or killed. And this effort is funded through the 2016 Measure B sales tax. We're collaborating with the county public health department on developing and reviewing the data. Um, As you know, I'm sure over the last few years, the public health department has released a series of data briefs looking at traffic crashes in the county. Their epidemiologists are actually looking at um, the various data sources to identify potential target audiences and identify specific risky behaviors that we want to address in the campaign. We're also coordinating closely with the vision zero program in San Jose um, and looking for ways that we can support each other's efforts. Uh, As one example, since both uh, VTA and the county plan on hiring a consultant to help with the respective safety campaigns, and the scope of work is really similar. The city has agreed to release an RFP for a cooperative agreement, which would permit um, VTA and other agencies within Santa Clara County to hire and use the same consultant that the city selects without having to go through their own separate procurement process. You can go to the next slide. So um, we conduct a rail safety campaign every September in conjunction with rail safety month. This past fall, we um, posted several blogs. We promoted it heavily on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. We also sent some news releases to the media and one station did a quick story on the um, safety campaign and they interviewed our public information officer for that. Um, in addition to the social media channels, we also posted messaging on our light rail digital signs and the triptych screens at the, the BART stations in um, Milpitas and Berryessa. Go to the next slide. Great. Also, um, this year we'll be launching an ongoing series of adult bicycle education courses. Um, This year, I guess next year, 2021, um, we will be issuing a request for proposals soon to seek a team to help deliver those for us. The program is building on a successful pilot that we hosted in 2018. The courses will include a classroom session and um, depending on how the pandemic um, shelter in place uh, restrictions get, if they get eased, we'll have some on-bike training as well. And the goal is to teach adults how to ride safely in traffic. They will, the courses will follow a national curriculum authored by the League of American Bicyclists. We will also be offering courses in um, other languages, most likely Spanish. Um, As part of this effort, we'll also sponsor bicycle maintenance classes and develop up to three short PSAs that explain specific bike safety topics. That is also funded by 2016 Measure B funds. And finally, go to the next slide. This is my last slide. Um, We have a senior outreach program that provides resources and information to seniors about their transit options. This is integrated into our budget, just an ongoing program. It's run through our outreach team. Um, With COVID, obviously there's been a change in the way we conduct this outreach. It's currently virtual. We have some mini presentations on our website. One of the presentations is on safety information and tips and the other is on using public transit during this time of extreme caution. We also um, have other uh, following senior programs, which we did conduct in person prior to the COVID pandemic a train the trainer academy, where we offer training to senior volunteers and service providers on how to help older adults use public transportation. For this training, we use the classroom and we also have on bus training to make sure the participants or to equip the train the trainers so that they can assist older adults in using um, public transportation. And then we also have something called a vacation it's a small group training where we host a morning training, and it's immediately followed by a guided trip um, using our public transit services. We bring the uh, people to entertainment or shopping venues of their choice within the county, and this allows the the participants to be oriented and familiarized with the way public transportation works. And then, if someone would like further training, we would then refer them to the community partners and the Uh, who provide one-on-one travel training. So with that, I'll close. And thank you very much for allowing us to share um, some of the work that we do at BTA.
1: Thank you very much uh, to all of our presenters. Um, And uh, that is the end of our presentations for the day. We will now open it up for task force member discussion in regards to uh, the four presentations we just had. Uh, And uh, if you are a member of our public, uh, please raise your hand uh, because after our task force members um, have spoken, we will kick it over to you. And sometimes uh, it takes a little bit for task force members to jump in. So I I might jump over to you and then come back to the task force members as well. and uh, and I just wanted to, to to kick it off myself with a little bit of uh, of a theme of of kind of what I was um, or what I was hearing. So number one, uh, I think without a doubt, COVID nineteen has had a tremendous impact in how all of us are doing outreach, uh, and certainly not being able to, to outreach in person uh, has has been a major setback. But at the same time, I think you know we've always. Coupled the in-person outreach uh, with a number of different uh, other methods, um, and, uh, and 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 I think we we heard those today, and I think a better use of those as we move forward uh, is going to be important. And one of the things that I have taken from uh, outreach uh, experiences this this year with COVID and on the council is that I think you know we should always marry a good uh, collaboration between our in-person meetings and opportunities uh, that we can present online uh, because i think we we certainly have seen a positive impact um, with people being able to participate virtually and not necessarily having to travel outside of their house to go to an in-person meeting Um, and so i think for for us on the council it's going to be something that we want to want to actually do uh, a combination of the two as uh, we get out of this pandemic. Um, another thing, and, and I really think one of the, the areas I'd like to, to see if we could focus some of the conversation is just how do we collaborate um, with this outreach? Uh, as you saw in the presentations, that we all saw, um, there are a lot of different um, you know materials going out, uh, different priorities, but. If we we think about it under this umbrella uh, of what we're we're all messaging, and certainly if we utilize the Vision Zero umbrella, uh, I think there are ways that we can can collaborate. Um, we're already doing it, but I think there's ways we can do it better. Certainly, we're already doing it. Uh, yesterday, I participated in the ARCT event. Uh, there was a the day of remembrance, as uh, Nikita pointed out, um, where there was some some collaboration. Um, but I think you know, hearing things from the presentations. I, I'm sensing that a lot of us may be speaking to um, the same audience, kind of a crossover audience. And uh, and I think that we can collaborate in ways to ensure that we're broadening that audience. Um, one of the ways that I heard that I think we could make better use of would be radio um, and especially multilingual. As we know that there are many um, of, of our potential audience members that, that are out there that are not gonna get the messaging other ways. They're not gonna join a Zoom meeting with us. They may not go to an in-person meeting uh, or event, um, but they may be listening to radio, especially in their own language. Uh, and uh, and then when it comes to TV, I think uh, something that was really compelling for me was at the, the California Walks event, Day of Remembrance, and just seeing the, the images of the children uh, of them playing, playing with their favorite toys, you could see in the pictures, or maybe it was a birthday party picture. Um, those I think are tremendously impactful when you know that that person is no longer with us. And uh, and so for me, I think, um, you know, if we were to utilize TV, uh, as uh, Fred pointed out, uh, statistics are not compelling. Uh, but I think, you know, seeing human lives, especially young lives um, are uh, when those lives have been lost. Um, and, uh, and then lastly, the, the last kind of theme, I think, in, in correlation of, of, you know, I think the fact that we may have similar audiences um, besides, I think, the County Office of Ed, which obviously can, can really focus on our students and our youth, uh, but through uh, California wants the ARP even BTA, um, there's a real focus on uh, this uh, audience of potential victims. And I don't think there's really, from what I saw in the presentations, much focus on on anybody else, which I'm not trying to recommend that that's good or bad, but it's just there is a a large segment of our community that we're not necessarily messaging to, and those are the individuals a lot of times that are the ones that are causing some of these accidents, right? They're driving distracted, they're speeding, um, and they may not necessarily fall into the audience that we are targeting. And so uh, I think it just, sh- we should be aware that there's a segment that um, that is out there that um, is not necessarily targeted in the audience. And there may be just opportunities for us to collaborate uh, a little better to ensure we can have a-, a-, a broader audience. And so now I'll kick it over to our vice chair uh, Pampholi.
2: Great, thank you, council member Perales. I uh, appreciate your comments and your focus. And I appreciate the four presentations that we had regarding outreach and uh, Nikita in particular, I want to thank you for emphasizing the the print material in delivery to our seniors. Because as Fred had the statistics to show and you utilized, uh, you referenced, Seniors aren't using technology as much as uh, our younger folks are, so we need to be creative in how we're going to reach out to our uh, senior, senior adult, uh, our older adults as we're, uh, as I'm trying to learn to call them and not senior citizens. I don't like the term senior citizens as I head into that, it make, just makes me feel older than I feel that I really am. But I I do see that three of you are focused on educating our senior population so there seems to be an opportunity for collaboration there Um, I know uh, and through the council offices with our various ways that we outreach with our community I know I had uh, Fred speak at one of my town hall meetings on senior programs and AARP, and that was actually really well attended, but it is about making sure that you have creative approaches and a a hook to bring people in to watch your video or to participate in your your town hall meeting. Um, One thing, and I think it was Lauren, I had a question for you, and this uh, relates to your education classes for adult bike riders. I appreciate that you are working to educate adult bike riders, but I wonder if there's any emphasis on educating drivers because they are as much causing the accidents as the bike riders who are trying to get out of their way. They're driving distracted. They're not paying attention. They're uh, making that right-hand turn and not looking in it, looking to see if there's a, a bicyclist over their shoulder. So is there any consideration, have you thought about how you might message that to our drivers?
10: Great, that's a great question. And I have the same questions and concerns. I agree with with your what you're saying. Um, I would actually point to our countywide safety campaign. You'll notice I didn't say that we're gonna be targeting bicyclists and pedestrian behavior. We're gonna be identifying what the risky behavior is that results in severe and fatal collisions. And this may mean that we actually have a campaign that targets drivers and tells them to slow down, for example. Um, so I think we're, we're going at it in that way. There's also other um, ways that you can, you can educate drivers in a classroom setting that other um, agencies and other um, organizations are doing. Uh, so that could be um, like diversion programs where if someone gets a ticket for speeding instead of having them pay the ticket, they can they can then go to a class to learn how to um, learn a little bit more about why it's important to drive more safely. So um, we're not supporting directly those efforts right now with VTA, but those types of efforts are, uh can be funded through 2016 measure b funds that the local agencies all
8: have access to
2: great i would love to see a campaign on educating our drivers you know be it billboards be it radio be it uh signs on polls some way to continue to notify our drivers to pay attention to their surroundings as as they are driving not just speed it's the right turn it's the left turn it's it's the rolling through a stop sign so i i really appreciate that this was really good information and and i think the outreach is really really important uh we're ready the council offices are always looking for content on how to get information out and as I uh, mentioned earlier, several of you are focused on seniors, and that is a priority in my council office too. So anything we can do to help distribute information that you have to our community, and even um, I'm thinking of a, a panel discussion maybe on uh, traffic safety and how I might how how I might uh, frame that so it, I get people to attend, but I also get some good information. So. Uh, hope, hopefully, I can do something for that in the first quarter. But thank you so much. I appreciate hearing from four, the four of you and the, your efforts uh, to inform our community and keep our pedestrians safe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Pam. And
1: uh, John, you are next, but I'm going to go over to Fred. I think he wanted to respond. And then uh, potentially David and I, Lieutenant and I, I wanted to respond uh, as well. But go ahead, Fred.
9: Yeah. So, uh, Councilmember Foley, I'm so I'm really really glad you brought that up um, uh, because yeah, it's it's uh, the, the other the other you know statistic or, or you know that that we don't talk about a lot in terms of Vision Zero is how um, as older as people get older and, and continue to drive, which is the case. I mean, st- studies will show that. Uh, even folks who are 75 years and, and over, I mean, you, you've got close to 70% of those people still driving. And as they get older, uh, traffic fatalities increase in terms of folks who die while driving. So uh, it's not just pedestrians, it is it is older drivers as well. And AARP has recognized that for a while now. So we do have a, what's called a, a driver safety class. Uh, those were in-person in classes when COVID hit it was all put on hold. Uh, we just started to release a virtual uh, driver safety course. Uh, the good thing about the driver safety course is one, it's super, it was super popular too. Uh, many times it'll actually lower your insurance rates. So uh, you get you get that benefit as well. And then in addition to that, we also have what's called a, like a driver technology course that will teach folks how to use their new vehicles with all of the gadgets and all of the things going on there, because what we were finding was that uh, some older drivers were disabling things that were meant to actually help them <laughs> drive in a safer manner. So we do have those programs. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, that would be another way that we could get more information out on um, on Vision Zero and on pedestrian safety and uh, um the safety of, of cyclists and things like that. So um, let's connect on that and and let's figure out what we can do in, in that regard.
2: Great, thank you, Fred.
1: And then uh, Lieutenant I, did you want to chime in as well?
4: Yeah, I was just gonna mention that one of the things that we've done um, recently, and I reported out on this a few months back regarding uh, bicycle safety and the what was brought up regarding motorists and how motorists are being um, you know, obviously are an equal part of that equation and sometimes even more so at fault than the bicycles themselves. So we did a campaign back and I just pulled some stats on that um, and reported out, I think it was in October, um, but we had issued and I, and I just did a March to March was, was because that was kind of pre-COVID and I wanted to see where we were with stats and kind of a, a realistic number, but we had issued um, in, this, in this bicycle safety campaign that we did internally because we were having so many issues with bicycle safety, um, and bicycles fatalities last year. From March of 2019 to March of 2020, we issued just in the Traffic Enforcement Unit alone, we issued 284 citations to motorists for uh, failing to yield to bicyclists in the bicycle lane. That is just that violation alone. That does not include all the things, all the citations that we that we issued for distracted driving and uh, unsafe turning movements and things of that nature regarding bicyclists. So. We do um, an enforcement component and an educational uh, component in here regarding bicyclist safety. Now, I know we had also discussed signage and other things that that can possibly help with that. But as far as an enforcement standpoint, I did want you to let let you guys know that that doesn't fall on deaf ears by any means. And those are things that we look into internally um, when we start seeing an uptick in bicycle fatalities. How can we target our enforcement accordingly? and of those two hundred eighty-four that we wrote, I know that I want to say about ninety percent of them were written in the downtown core because we see the biggest um, uh, commute, if you will, with bicycles and whatnot in that area. So just just kind of wanted to throw a stat out there for you. And one of the things that I had pulled up, and some of the things that I had targeted my officers to do during that time frame because it was it was obviously a necessary thing. And and certainly, we're always looking at innovative ways to, uh, to to conduct our enforcement and our education. So there was, uh, along with those two hundred and eighty-four citations, there was probably equal, if not more, so uh, warnings that were provided as well. So again, just uh, just throwing that out to the group so everyone's aware. Thank you. Thank
1: you. And
4: then uh, I'll kick it over to John, and then I'm, I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna go over to our public speakers. But I, I want to come back after that. And and I'm just prompting a question to see if people can think about it. Uh, whether it was our presenters or anybody else on the task force, um, if you have ideas on on how you think we can actually uh, cross-message, maybe or work together with this messaging opportunities that you see, uh, where you know based on what we've seen, what everybody's doing, how potentially can we work together that that allows us to not maybe message the same people and have a broader message, and 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 just wanted to to prompt that and see if anybody, uh, whether it was uh, the four presenters or others on the task force to to respond
11: to that. Go ahead, John. Thank you, council member. Um, So I have uh, about five things I wanna say. I'll cover them briefly. Uh, One of the things I noticed right away was there's no consistency of branding. Nobody else is using vision zero, not cow walks, not the county, not VTA. If we really want people to understand Vision Zero, everybody's got to be using the same branding in their safety messages. Every safety campaign should be a subset of a Vision Zero campaign as a higher message, I think, would help get this idea out to everybody. So that means, you know, some of the money's got to be going to all these other organizations to help them fund putting Vision Zero type of information into their literature. Um, We've all talked a little bit about how impactful memorialization can be. And like the World Day of Remembrance, I'd like to see a lot more support for that in how we're going to do Vision Zero. I'd like to see uh, memorialization with more ghost uh, bike monuments being paid for by the city, by signage where pedestrians are being killed. Um, for a couple of years, uh, CalWalks has brought signs to the Vision Zero meeting saying, "Hey, you know, here's a sign for every person that's died this year," and it has a great impact on the meeting. But really, we need those streets those signs on the streets to say, you know, X person died here. Right. And even if they only are up for a year, um, I think that we really need to be getting this message apart across better. um, That our roads are not safe and we need to to do that work. I agree with you that we should be focusing more on uh, the drivers. So, um, you know, like you said, most of the messaging here has been targeted toward the people that are being injured and not toward the people that are causing most of the injury. I am not quite sure how we get that messaging turned around, but it definitely seems like something that the group should explore. I really support your idea of looking at more ways to get the message out, um, particularly with the senior community. So, radio PSAs, more languages. Um, you know, more about the victims. How do we tell their stories? How do we uh, show the impact of their loss? So I, you know, I'd like to see a lot more focus on getting the awareness to the driver, right, and not necessarily to the to the people that are walking and biking. Um, we're trying to be careful about that messaging because we don't want it to sound like victim blaming. Um, but, you know, whenever the road show or whatever talks about these things, they always talk about this person was wearing black or you know, they, they, they weren't in a lighted crosswalk. Well, the city didn't like the crosswalk. So, you know, how can you blame them? All right, thank you. Thank you very much, John. Uh, and now we will
1: go over to open up for uh, public comment. Um, and, and if you've never participated in Zoom before, there's the raise hand uh, button on your toolbar. Please click that if you're calling in, you'll have to press star nine. Uh, Our Department of Transportation staff is gonna instruct you to unmute yourself uh, so you may speak. uh, And we're gonna allocate two minutes per speaker um, and um, I'll turn it over now to Lam,
5: Lam Cruz. Great, thank you. Um, Just give me a second here. Just wanna put that for those who
10: will be joining later.
5: So Mary Lou, I'm going to um, unmute you, please. Please unmute yourself.
6: Can you hear me? Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that I'm given this opportunity to talk to you and I applaud your interest in decreasing um, bicycle and pedestrian safety on the street. The concern I, I'm bringing to you, I'm looking for direction and help because the street that I'm concerned about will never be on the Vision Zero street map. It's too small of a street, but it is a dangerous street. It is Edenville Avenue. And for those of you who have been to Hayes Mansion, it's the street that goes along Hayes Mansion. Uh, It is a street that is a connector street in San Jose. It is a long street, I don't know if it's an eighth of a mile or a quarter of a mile long with no impediments, cars speed on it. It is only two lanes, one in each direction. Cars go 30 miles an hour, that's the limit but they often go go over that. There are residential homes as in single family condominiums, there's a mobile home park and then Hayes Mansion itself. There is no sidewalk on much of the east side of Edenvale. Therefore, pedestrians who leave the mobile home park through a gate have to walk out directly onto the street. I've lived on Edenvale or right off of Edenvale for 25 years and I've never been able to understand why the city of San Jose tolerates a street that has no bicycle, has no sidewalk, but it it has. Uh, I have gone to my city councilman, Ash Calra, now Sergio Jimenez and talked with them about this, but they have been unable to to create change, not because they don't want to, but they have been unable to. Uh, I've gone to DOT a number of times and they have come out and looked at the street. They've studied it. They say that the traffic flow is not high enough. The speed study doesn't justify it. Um, And uh, then uh, and they they won't they say that they can't put in a crosswalk because it gives a pedestrian a false sense of security. Where can I go from here? I need your help. I need your direction at least.
1: Thank you, Mary Lou. Uh, in, in the public comment phase, we we won't respond at the moment, but we'll see if somebody can give a response after uh, the public speakers have have uh, finished.
5: Great.
12: Next, um, I have Blair Beekman. Hi, uh, Blair Beekman here. Uh, maybe the person, uh, previous person, can just write a letter to someone on the on the board, and, and I'm sure they can they can write back about the situation. Um, for myself, you know, I I come from the point of uh, uh, good policy practices and. You know, this is to consider, you know, we're at a time of Vision Zero stuff, with all the COVID that's happening, uh, Vision Zero has narrowed in on kind of the fear I've always had of Vision Zero to focus on law enforcement and surveillance and its technology and its ticketing of people. And, you know, it's it's a tough compromise at this time. And I I want to practice, you know, good neighborhood safety issues. I wanna learn what that is. So I am learning those things and learning how to be a person of the community and I just hope you can learn to include that, you know, with all the 4G and 5G that is going in right now and that's going to have a ton of more new surveillance technology in it. uh, That it will help vision zero immensely. Um, You know that you can really consider the ideas of open public policy ideas for that technology. You just don't slap that technology in there. You lear- have to learn to ask about it and just simply ask what are, how can that technology be an open process with the community? And I, that's where I'm trying to come from is how do we learn to say that and ask that of our city government? And it's fearful that to, the to, to city government, they don't want to talk about it. And I'm sure people of Vision Zero, they don't wanna talk about it because they want their neighborhood safety issues secure. So I, I'm in a tough spot. I think it's really important important work to describe the future of peace and sustainability of a community. And so I hope you can uh, uh, be a part of that process. And uh, thank you. Great,
5: next I have, um... A phone number with the last four digits, 1367. You'll have to unmute yourself.
13: Yes, this is Lillian from District Six. I had never really even heard of Vision Zero um, when the other gentlemen stated that you need more um, uh, input into the community to let them know it even exists. That would be helpful, but I'm gonna tell you from p- personal experience, I have a bike. I'm in my 60s. I have been fearful of riding that bike. It's brand new Uh, when I moved here about a year ago in these apartments, um, of riding it around here. I live off a Bascom and Southwest Expressway. And, you know, when you're talking about fatalities of people over the age of 60, pedestrians and bicyclists, that's 50% of your fatalities. There's no wonder that you're, you're, you know, people like myself are fearful to ride our bikes. I'm not even sure exactly where I can ride them even on the trails. So Fred, who deals with um, seniors, I wish you would address that a little bit more uh, for public comment out in the community. And uh, the third thing I just want to mention is I hear the kids are going back to school in January when the vaccine comes out. Um, I live you know by city college Del Mar, and here's Sherman um, uh, Oaks school over here. and a lot and I'm a former substitute teacher. When I lived in the valley in Hanford there were a lot of kids that were getting hit um, on their bikes because, you know, we're talking a rural area and many of them didn't wear helmets. And there were a a couple of fatalities, one, a principal's son. And I remember um, there was more um, communication with the different schools about kids wearing their helmets. So when you're talking about bicycles, we're not just talking about adults. We're also talking about children going to school and hopefully, you know, we'll address that with the helmet laws. Thank you so much.
14: Great, thanks. Next, I have Hugo. Hello, um, Council Member Perales and the rest of the uh, Vision Zero Task Force. Thank you very much for holding these meetings. My name is Hugo Mesa. I'm a Deputy District Attorney in Santa Clara County. And I'm calling just to maybe put an idea out there. In, I think it was late September, the governor signed a bill, AB 3234, It's known as misdemeanor diversion, and it's been since codified as penal code section 1001.95 through .97. And essentially what it is, is it authorizes a judge to use his or her discretion to offer diversion to a misdemeanor defendant over the objection of the prosecution. And um, there is really no set criteria for the guidelines for granting diversion. It just has to be a misdemeanor. There are certain exclude, excluded misdemeanors such as like diverse, uh, domestic violence offenses or uh, offenses that require registration to be as a sex offender, but some qualifying um, offenses include drunk driving, drunk driving causing injury, vehicular manslaughter. And if the one of the issues um, really brought up as I hear is how to reach out to the drivers, perhaps creating some kind of program through the task force that's then you know maybe sold or brought to the attention of superior court here in santa clara county that could be a program that could be put out there for a judge to potentially consider as a program that they would have to go through perhaps put out some psas um so that you know they put in the work to perhaps grant you know, get themselves get their case dismissed but it would have to be through the cooperation of you know the division zero task force completing whatever program is required or put out there Um, And that's just an idea. I thought I'd put it up. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Hugo.
5: Great, thanks. Next I have Brandon Alvarado.
15: Hi, everyone, Uh, my name is Brandon Alvarado and um, I'm the president of the Ride of Silence organization, which is an organization that's dedicated towards honoring people who have been killed or seriously injured while riding or bicycle. Um, I also am a cycling instructor and I was actually involved with the training of all of the VTA cycling instructors that Lauren Ledbetter had mentioned. So I was involved with that process and I'm also currently serve as the chair of San Jose and the VTA Bicycle and Pedestrian Advisory Committee. Um, So I just have, I think, three or four things I wanna point out. The first thing I wanted to say is that I completely support uh, what John from Silicon Valley Bike Coalition said about desiring more support for the memorialization events for people. Um, as Raul Perales, Councilmember Member Raul Perales pointed out, it was very impactful for him to see these people and be reminded that they're real people that are no longer with us. And I think uh, unless we're having events, um, I'll just share that one of the things we do with the Rite of Silence is we host an annual event every year uh, on the third Wednesday of May and we also try to do tribute rides. And in our last tribute ride, we had Pam Foley, uh, I think three council members and Mayor Sam Liccardo attend an event. and between the two events we had in 2019, they were extremely impactful to the community and letting our people know that we're doing everything we can. Um, I do support more driver education 100%, but not at the cost of uh, slowing down the progress of, of education for cyclists. The leading reason, statistically, when you look at all the studies that are done, why people choose not to ride a bicycle, and if we're all here to help it make the world so that more people ride bikes, is the leading reason is the perception of safety on the roadways. And if people don't feel safe, they're not going to ride. The one leading factor of that happens between crashes with a car and a cyclist, and I'll wrap up here in just a minute, is um, that the bicyclist wasn't seen by the driver. And the one way that you can help give yourself the best chance of being seen is being an educated cyclist who knows all of the techniques of being seen, visible, um, whether it's what you wear, how you ride in the roadways. And then the last thing I just want to uh, put on thank your- Thank you, Brandon.
1: We'll, we'll have to wrap you up here because we're, we're running to the end and we got to get back to our, our panelists here. Sorry, thank you very much. Uh, and for uh, Mary Lou as well, um, I don't believe we'll be able to give you a. a a formal response, but I'll ask uh, a representative from our Department of Transportation if they would be willing to provide their email verbally to you now, and then that way you can connect with them offline. And yeah, of course, if if you want, I could give her a quick quick response on that, but we'll do both of those if you'd like. This is John Rista, Director of Transportation. Yeah, if you don't mind, John, if we could just provide an email, just we've got about four minutes left, so. No problem, we'll get her get her an email. somebody from D.O.T. able to kind of verbally provide your email i was going to put it in the chat but i could just do it verbally so uh, my email as director is my first name john j-o-h-n dot risto the last name r-i-s-t-o-w at san jose ca.gov but i'll try to put it in the chat thank you we don't have a chat function right now we don't have chat oh Thank you. And so I'm coming back to, uh, and we do have, now we're down to three minutes. Um, I'll come back and I see Jesse with his hand up. So I'll go to Jesse.
0: Um, Actually, I just wanted to follow up and thank everyone for uh, particularly highlighting uh, the challenge of crafting the message and reaching the people. Um, So just to follow that, I think that one of the great things about the technology of Zoom is that we've recorded this meeting and we can give this conversation about the sort of, you know, difficulties that we have in crafting the narrative that attracts the people, um, you know, when data doesn't do that um, to the people who are thinking to be our consultants, um, you know, uh, to be our outreach consultants. They can understand the sort of in a sense by watching this conversation they can see the the sort of challenges that we have that we want to address that are sort of biggest top level challenges um i think also just to talk about the benefits of ta- having this conversation in the context of the task force um a lot of our organizations have um assets or and also programs where we can reach out to very specific audiences obviously we've touched on the point that you know the people driving the cars Are the people that we want to reach and how do we reach them and particularly how do we reach them during the pandemic when we don't reach them the same way as we've reached them in the past um so i think that you know we can think through the assets we have whether it be through schools um working with uh the county office of education and figuring out which schools and whether you know that you know we want to reach the parents because for example one of the things we found out is that the people driving the cars who hit the people who die in traffic fatalities are predominantly men who are adults uh, ages 20 to 50 roughly speaking. Um, You know that's an audience that we may be able to reach through schools or we may be able to reach in many many other ways but you know that's just to give an example of the way that we can work with partners who are on the call here and then also work with the consultant who we haven't hired yet but we will be. I'll end there. I just wanted to say that for the, um, for the for the person who made the comment about Edenville Avenue, um, if you didn't uh, write down the emails before, there is one at the bottom of this slide where you can reach out to uh, the DOT directly, and it will come to us. Um, so I'll end there and hand it back to the council member.
1: Thank you for for stating that, uh, Jesse. And appreciate that. And yeah, sorry we we are just out of time, so we're not able to dive in. Uh, and even on the topic or the question that I posed, but I do want everybody to kind of continue to think about how we might be able to, to cross collaborate on some of this outreach and messaging. I think we heard a lot of really good uh, op- uh, opportunities today, and so our next task force meeting will be uh, Friday, March 5th from 9 till 11 a.m., uh, and the topic for, or the theme will be on data um, and we invite uh, all of our task force members back to continue to participate with us, and all the members of the public. Uh, thank you to everybody for participating uh, and engaging today, uh, and please do stay safe. Meeting is adjourned. Thank you.